Shri Bhagavan Vacha, Kalosh mi loka shayakrit pravito, Lokan samahartu miha pravita, Rite pitwam na bavishyanti sarve, Ye vastita trachyanikeshu yodha. The Supreme Personality of Godhead said, Time I am, the great destroyer of the worlds. And I've come here to destroy all people, with the exception of you, the Pandavas. All the soldiers here on both sides will be slain. Omajana Trimanandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshuran Melitanyena, Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. Scary stuff. (laughs) So, how do we reconcile such a a vivid, fearful revelation that that Arjuna is having here? It's difficult to reconcile in the mind. Uh, Sounds like a science fiction movie to me. (laughs) It's hard to reconcile. (laughs) Yeah, hard. So what's the what 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 is really the purpose here? Well, we know from earlier in the chapter that the purpose of Arjuna's request is from the last chapter, the tenth chapter. Lord Krishna had explained in so many ways how one could perceive him within the material world by appreciation of the greatness that we're already accustomed to. So in so many ways, Krishna gave analogies of ways that we can get an idea of what is, what is God by appreciating his, his wonders within the material universe and by equating things that we're familiar with or at least Arjuna was familiar with as we explained when we covered the 10th chapter, that for us, some of these concepts and the, the position of the demigods and the, the uh, specific uh, uh, planetary arrangements that Krishna uh, made comparisons to for Arjuna's benefit would be somewhat foreign to us because of our culture. Be that as it may, here in the 11th chapter, Arjuna wanted to make, on behalf of the Supreme Lord, he wanted to make an emphatic statement to those who may have some difficulty recognizing Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We know from the 10th chapter, Arjuna was convinced. He was convinced entirely. Uh, Param Brahma, Param Dhamma, Bhavitram Paramam, you are the Supreme. He made that, that very clear. And, and not only do I accept that you are God based on my personal understanding of your position, but all the great sages, uh, Sita, Devala, uh, Narada, Vyas, they also have arrived at the same conclusion. So it's not just on my account. But as they sometimes say, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. <laughs> In the beginning of the 11th chapter, Arjuna wanted a, a picture, as you said, a, a horror show. 
I don't think he was expecting that in the beginning when he requested to see the universal form, but after the wonder passed, and last week we discussed the wonder, that Arjuna's friendship was actually overwhelmed by that ecstatic sentiment of wonder in seeing this universal form that the Lord was displaying. Now that wonder changes because Krishna shows the fierce side of his external potency, his fierce side of the material world. And what is that fierce side? Destruction. Kala. What? Time. time. And time leads to destruction of... Everything. What's it miss? Nothing. Everything's destroyed by time. Krishna is giving a vivid display of his potency of time to Arjuna and in showing it to Arjuna he's also given divine eyes to residents of the heavenly planets and others within the material universe so that there would be witness can I have a witness so here I will give also the demigods they will see uh, the common people, the, the soldiers on the battlefield, they, for the most part, were not given this vision. But the other controllers of universal affairs, they were also allowed to see uh, what Arjuna was seeing. So now, starting in the 20th text, the manifestation of Krishna's fearful feature as time is being revealed. And it's actually revealed for, for 10 verses, starting with text number 20. The Kala, Rupa. As I said, there, there's a host of witnesses also able to perceive what Arjuna is seeing. Uh, the demigods and the great sages within the universe, they're also given this vision. And in seeing this vision, the demigods are horrified. They're, and they... That's clear in the 21st verse. They just simply stand back in fear and, and, and begin to offer prayers. And the great sages are saying, let every living entity within the universe experience peace. We're seeing this fearful sight, but they're praying. Vedic hymns, they're, they're praying for peace. It's explained that in text 23 that Arjuna's Bhava, his experience of ecstatic emotion, is transformed uh, in the commentaries of, of uh, Baladevid Yabushan. He points out that in the 23rd verse, that wonder, that as we spoke last week, that bhava, that, it, that transcendental emotion, which was his relationship with Krishna was one of friendship and there are five primary ecstatic relationships with the Lord and there are seven secondary relationships. So his friendship, his primary relationship was transformed into wonder, a secondary relationship and now that wonder is transferred into fear which is also an ecstatic symptom one of the seven secondary ecstatic symptoms. 
In the 23rd verse, Arjuna is saying, O mighty armed one, all the planets with their demigods are disturbed at seeing your great forms with its many faces, eyes, arms, legs, thighs, bellies, and your many terrible teeth. As they are disturbed, so am I. So Arjuna himself is becoming disturbed by this vision. What was wondrous is now becoming frightful. The next text, 24 O all-pervading Vishnu, seeing you with your many radiant colors touching the sky, your gapping mouths, and your great glowing eyes, my mind is perturbed by fear. I can no longer maintain my steadiness or equilibrium of mind. And then some of the the characteristics of a fearful situation, uh, Arjuna admits, are, are, are truly affecting him. In the 25th verse, what's he say? I can't even keep my balance. In all, in all directions, I am bewildered. I'm sure we've all at one time or another in this life experienced a frightful situation. And in that fear, we lose all composure. It, it overtakes us, that emotion. So that's what Arjuna is expressing in text 25. Now, earlier in this chapter... Krishna had mentioned to Arjuna that when I show, when you see this universal form, you are going, you're going to be able to see everything past, present, and future. In the 26th and 27th verses, Arjuna is given a glimpse of what is, what is the outcome of this battle. He's shown that all the various competitors in the battle, the adversaries, they're going to be defeated. Particularly, he sees that the great generals and fighters on the other side, Bhishma, Drona, Karna, and the major sons of Dhritarashtra, they're being destroyed. They're, they're being annihilated by Krishna's universal form. In 28 and 29, it's pointed out that there's two analogies here. One is that of a river flowing into the ocean, and the other is one of a moth flying into the fire. That means that some of the participants in the battle are willingly taking the consequences of time, and the confrontation that's at hand, and they're willingly accepting death. Just as a river flows, you know, into the ocean. And others are knowingly, they're knowingly, they're knowingly accepting what's happening. And the others are, like the Maas, they're unknowingly. They're just drawn into the circumstances of the battle. In text number 31, Arjuna wants to have an, an understanding of... He's become so bewildered, he's saying, well, what's, what's, re, what's really going on? I offer my obeisances. I, I, can't, I can't, with my limited facilities, understand this manifestation of destruction as time is destroying... Everything, how can you explain to me this manifestation of your energy? 
because seeing this, I'm bewildered and I, I, I want to understand fully. So I offer my obeisances. Please be gracious to me. You are the primal Lord. I want to know about you, for I do not know what your mission is. He's bewildered, just like he was bewildered in the beginning of Bhagavad Gita. Arjuna has again become bewildered. Well, what's, what's really going on here? Uh, his initial bewilderment was, why, why, why are you suggesting to me that I engage in this ghastly world warfare? What, what good can come of it? And again, that same bewilderment has is, is overtaken Arjuna here in seeing Krishna's universal form. What's the actual mission here? Krishna immediately answers. First understand the time I am. This ingredient of time, which is the devastation of everything, that, that is, my, is my potency within the material world. The great destroyer of the worlds. And I have come here to destroy all people. And in this particular instance, in this particular arena, this battlefield of Kurukshetra, Everyone's going to die. It's already been. It's already my intent. This is Krishna speaking. God, it's my intent to relieve the burden of the earth that's been created by these, by the circumstances uh, at hand, and the circumstances are that the leadership is not in the best interest. Of humanity. The leadership is not in the best interest. Therefore, I've arranged this battle. I've arranged this battle because uh, they've, they've lost sight of what's proper conduct. This should have been apparent to you when they disrobed Drupadi. You should have seen. They've lost their humanity, they've become so corrupted by their powerful positions. They've tried to kill you. They've tried to kill your brothers who are the rightful heirs and should be managing the affairs of this planet. So therefore, I want to rectify that situation. And this battle is arranged by me to rectify this situation and as you can see by this display, this vision of my universal energies, as you can see, you have a premonition now. You see what's coming. By this vision, you see what's coming. Therefore, you can see this is my intent. And this is going to happen, as you can see, because they are flowing into me. And I am the true agent of destruction as time. Therefore, prepare to fight and win glory. Let me give you the credit. Know who's the doer. I'm time. I'm the doer. I've already, it's already, fate is already, their fate is already sealed. But if you serve me, if you do my bidding, if you follow my direction, then you're going to enjoy a flourishing kingdom. 
They are already put to death by my arrangement. And you, O Saviyasachi, can be but an instrument in the fight. Saviyasachi means ambidextrous. Arjuna is going to be able to uh, fight with both hands equally <laughs> in the battle. He's going to be able to use his bow, both right and left. And specifically, those in text number 34, specifically, those great generals which are undefeatable on the other side. Bhishma, Drona, Jayadratha, who has been given a, a benediction that he can basically defeat the Pandavas. And Karna, these are all great warriors. They're going to be defeated in this battle. And these would be big concerns in the situation on Arjuna's part. Bhishma, Drona, his teacher. Bhishma, who is like his father. After his father passed on, Bhishma raised the Pandavas. But his, his, his military prowess was, he was undefeatable. So much power. And Karna, that's a whole story about Karna. <laughs> uh, Archie can relate that story later. She has a great affinity for Karna. This devastating fe feature of Krishna's uh, as time has to be understood. And it's continuously going on. In the 12th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, it's explained that there's actually four types of uh, annihilation. Four types of annihilation. And I wanted to go over those with you. The first annihilation is at the end of Brahma's day. Uh, Lord Brahma, of course, is the uh, engineer of this material universe under Krishna's direction. He's, he's uh, enlightened uh, spiritually and materially uh, by the Supreme Lord at the beginning of the creation. And he's given the power to, to manifest, to begin the manifestation of this material world. He's, of course, the predominating deity of the mode of passion, and without passion, nothing really gets done in this world. He takes his birth, and at the beginning of each day, he manifests the creation. And it's a long time. We're talking uh, 4,320,000,000 uh, years is his one day. There's uh, 14 Manus within that day and 1,000 cycles of the four Yugas. Uh, the four yugas being uh, uh, the periods of men, just like there are seasons of the year, there are four yugas. At the end of Brahma's day, after 1,000 cycles of those four yugas, there's a, there's a partial devastation of the universe. And water fills the universe, and everything's basically washed away, and Brahma has his night, which is of equal duration. So that's a partial devastation. Brahma lives for 100 years. Uh, his 100 years, of course, each of his years is 365 days. In one day, there's 1,000 cycles of the four yugas. So he lives a long, long time. Now when he dies, 
when he's lived his hundred years, the material universe, this the particular universe that he's in, is annihilated. Basically, uh, it's explained. It's it's there's a devastating fire, and the whole universe is consumed. So that that annihilation is total, total annihilation. Now, of course, there's continuous annihilation. Now, what is continuous annihilation? Some parts live, some parts die. What part would that be? Human body. Everything in the universe is continually being annihilated. So we have the partial annihilation at the end of Brahma's day. We have the total annihilation when the universe is finished up. At the end of Brahma's life. At the end of Brahma's life, the whole universe is devastated. And it goes back into the body of Mahavishnu, Karna Dakshai Vishnu. Now, that, does that include annihilation to uh, heavenly planets as well? Yes, that annihilation is complete. Actually, the partial annihilation at the end of Brahma's day also includes the heavenly planets. The only planets that are not destroyed at that time are the real high Brahma's planet and planets where the great sages within the universe reside and also Lord Vishnu's planet within the universe. Those are above the upper, middle, and lower planetary systems. And of course the lower ones are just abolished? Yes. <laughs> abolished until, the, until Brahma wakes up, and again there's creation. But that's, that's, that's done day in and day out. Now when he dies, then the whole universe itself is completely destroyed. And he and all those residents of, this, of the higher, the highest, Sage inhabited planets, they all are liberated and, and attain the spiritual world. They, 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 they have perfected their lives and, and they move on. The rest of the living entities who have not taken advantage of this particular creation are unfortunately again drawn into the body of the Supreme Lord. Karnadakshai Vishnu, and uh, they stay dormant in the Lord's body until there's another creation. So the continual annihilation is going on perpetually. We're all taking birth again and again and again, and dying again and again and again. All the living entities within this material universe are continually, in every material universe, are continually being born and continually dying. That's the constant annihilation. Now there's one other annihilation. And this other last annihilation is called absolute. What do you think absolute annihilation is? Everything the cooks. The material universe. Hmm? The end of the material universe. We've already covered the end of the universe. Oh, not like... All of them. They all go back. Everything transcends. Mm. I imagine. Even the Lord himself no. disappears? No. Uh. <laughs> Anybody else? Well, both spiritual and material. Total annihilation is when you, the individual soul who is within this external energy, Give it up and return to Krishna's transcendental abode. So 
it's crossing from uh, the materialist plane into the spiritual. Total annihilation means we, as an individual, living entity, give up this illusion. And that's the goal. And that's the goal of, of all life. But in human life, we can recognize the goal. <laughs> so that's the total annihilation. So there's four annihilations. Partial, complete, continual, and absolute. So that's explained in the twelfth uh, canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. There's an interesting description in the twelfth canto of another display of Krishna's universal form for the benefit of Markandeya. Now Markandeya Rishi was a great sage and he upon hearing spiritual instruction uh, he took it to heart and he decided he would have nothing to do with material affairs so much so that he remained celibate he was a celibate sage never any connection with women and of course that in and of itself for the yogi gives them great great mystic power he became so powerful that he was not destroyed during the partial annihilations. So for six, six Manvantaras, he, he continued to, to stay in the same body. And this was a this was a mystery, and this mystery was presented to uh, uh, Sunaka to Sutta Goswami. He wanted to know. I had heard that a living entity, Markandeya Rishi, survived a partial devastation. That he lived from one day of Brahma to the next. And he inquired of, of Sutta Goswami, can you explain how this happened? So it was explained. He, he lived in this way. After surviving for such a long time, he was becoming extremely powerful as a sage. He was meditating on the Supreme Lord perpetually. What happens when these great yogis become so powerful in their, in their meditations that... Specifically, the king of heaven, Indra, becomes a little bit anxious. He's powerful, but he's not, he wants to keep that power. He wants to keep that position. He wants to rig the election. He wants to make sure no one else comes in and asserts his position. During the seventh Banvantara, he sent, he sent Cupid down to shake the sage up. <laughs> and unfortunately he was not successful in this and after he tried and was unsuccessful the supreme lord himself appeared to Markandeya Rishi he appeared as Naranarayan and he asked him he said what what uh 
And then, of course, Mark and Dave, initially, anytime some great, anytime we get that vision of God, we, we immediately offer so many prayers. So there's a whole chapter in the 12th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, wherein Mark and Dave prayer, you know, offer his prayers to the Supreme Lord. And that's relayed there. And then, of course, after, after you offer your prayers to God, God wants to give you something. <laughs> it's just a natural reciprocation. Well, you gave me prayers. What could I give you? What would you like? And Mark and Rishi said, I want to see your illusory energy. Now, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that the Lord smiled, but he smiled ruefully. Krishna's not really happy to show us his illusory energy. He ruefully smiled and said, so be it. So Mark and Dayarishi's going on with his daily spiritual practice. and he's, But he continues to think about when am I going to see the Lord's illusory energy. So he's thinking about the Lord's in the water and the Lord's in the trees and the Lord's in the sun and in the wind. And then at the end of one day, all of a sudden the wind picks up. And it starts blowing frightfully. And then it starts to rain, torrents of rain. And all of a sudden, there's water everywhere. All of a sudden, there's no land. And Mark and Rishi is, is out in this huge deluge of wind and water. And he's being thrown around. He's being chased by these huge, huge whales and fish. You can imagine. It's, he, there's only water He's being harassed by this devastating force, just like at the end of Brahma's day. He's in that deluge, and he's trying to survive. And he spots an island, and on the island is a banyan tree. And in the banyan tree, in the leaves, he sees a small child. Who's blue? <laughs> and he's sucking on his toe. And he's, he's, he's overtaken by the wonder of this beautiful child. And he gets nearer to the child. And the child inhales. And just like a mosquito could come into our mouth, Mark and Rishi enters into the body of the child. And inside the body of the child, he sees and experiences the whole universe as it was before the inundation and the great winds. Before the rains came, he's experiencing and seeing the whole universe the way it was before the, this devastating storm takes pla took place. And then in an exhale, he's back out again. He's out of the body of this child. And he immediately looks at the child and he's so enthralled by the beauty that he wants to embrace. He realizes, this is Krishna. This is my Lord. And he wants to embrace the child. And he's thinking this and all of a sudden, the child gone, disappears. A second later, all the water disappears and all the winds subside and he's sitting back in his hermitage. He was given, just as Arjuna is given, 
in this 11th chapter, this is explained in the, in the 12th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, that also Markandeya Rishi got a vision of the Lord's external illusory potency. So I wanted to end this evening with uh, one thing that I read today in a newsletter by Srila Prabhupada. I was kind of taken aback by it. I've heard it before, but it's, uh, it just uh, it really fortifies the mission that we all have as, as devotees of the Lord. Back in 1972, there was a young brahmachari in the movement in Los Angeles, and he, uh, he had arranged for a marathon, a book-selling marathon. Uh, his name was Ro- Romeshwar. So uh, in 72, in the three days leading up to Krishna, the devotees in Los Angeles distributed an enormous amount of Back to Godhead magazines and Bhagavad Gita. Leading up to Christmas or Krishna? Did I say Krishna? Okay, yeah, Krishna. <laughs> Leading up to Christmas. So, uh, they were very successful. More books had been distributed in that three days than at any time before in the Western world. So, of course, Ramashwar wrote to Prabhupada and, and told him. And Prabhupada wrote back to him. And he, of course, in writing back, he glorified the devotees. They've done this great service. This is... This is so, so important to the spreading of Krishna consciousness in the Western world. And uh, there's a couple things here, but he says, uh, I am so much pleased upon all of the boys and girls in Los Angeles and all over the world who have uh, an understanding and appreciation of this unique quality of our transcendental literature. And voluntarily they're going out to distribute despite all circumstances of difficulty. By this effort alone, they are assured to go back to home, back to Godhead. And he goes on, but he closes. This last paragraph is is very instructive for us. He says, understanding is one thing. And practical application of that understanding is another. But as devotees of Krishna, being engaged in the practical work of spreading Krishna consciousness... That is already the highest realization. In other words, the highest realization of a devotee is grasping the importance of what we this knowledge of Krishna consciousness and the fact that it can actually completely end, totally annihilate our involvement in this material world. Total annihilation. That's what this Krishna consciousness movement is all about. That is already the highest realization. When you understand that and give it to others, that means you've, you've, that's the highest realization. But Prabhupada goes on to say, that's all right. That is our real mission, to deliver the world by preaching Krishna's message to others. But even higher realization. The highest realization is to save oneself. I'll stop there. Are there any questions, comments, corrections, additions? Well, I have a question about the um, the different annihilations. I mean, so the spiritual world is not subject to time, to kala, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no influence 
So how do souls, so there's never any, the material, the spiritual world does not, you know, get ever, there's no annihilation, there's no return back into that state of sleep or dormancy. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how do souls, because you, I mean, I believe you said before that, you know, souls can actually leave the spiritual world and come back into the material world. We've mm-hmm. fallen. We all were there once. Is that right? You're actually in the... No, that we... That you have Your free will is always there. There's never a time that you don't have free will. Right. That's a fact. So, souls can fall from the spiritual world back into the material world? Uh, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita having once gone there they never return Mm -hmm. but we can return at Krishna's request that's Srila Prabhupada has said to have returned from the spirit or returned to the material that's called Nitya Nitya Siddha yes Nitya Siddha I mean, sometimes most of mo- the Goswamis, uh, the Goswamis are understood to have been, to have been gopis. You know, Rupa Manjari, uh, who is, is who is you know our deliverer guru. Uh, so they they can return to the re- return under Krishna's direction to do his bidding. They can come down. Yes, but they're Nietzsche city. They're eternally liberated. When they return to the material world, they're not affected by the modes of material nature in any way. They're not coming here under the force of karma. Does that make sense? Yeah. Speaking of time, um, how is it? It's, uh, how is it measured? Is it like we measure it today, or as far as hours, minutes, seconds? There's a very detailed explanation of time in 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 the Srimad Bhagavatam. I'm not uh, my memory is not so sharp to be able to give you that complete destruction yeah. breakdown without studying it again. But uh, yeah, time time is. Uh, I think there's like I mean there's even a I can't even remember the comparisons enough to to give you that. But yeah, I mean the whole Srimad Bhagavatam explains all the different divisions of time within the material world. Now, in the spiritual world, of course, there's no conception of time. Exactly. Eternity, knowledge, and bliss. Mm-hmm. There's no destruction. Although things go on in a sequence, because there's never a time when, when there, there's no death, then time as we know it does not exist in the spiritual realm. As we know it, it does not exist. So Although there is a sequence of... of of play within the spiritual world. So it's not two-dimensional, it's like three-dimensional almost. It's multi-dimensional. It's beyond any dimension we can imagine with our limited senses, yes. Unmanifested. Yes, sir. So one one thing maybe to add to this what you mentioned to the Mataji, because... uh, how I understood your, your cons- or question or inquiry was about how it happened that we come here mm-hmm. in the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, 
you were just sick, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're glad to, to have you back and uh, get to know that you are better. Uh, so, you know, from my perspective, it sounds like, wow, you know, that's such a good time. You can stay in the bed for a whole day, several <laughs> days in a row. You know, someone even comes and gives you food. You know, you don't need to do anything. You can you have time to read, you have time to watch TV, whatever you like to do. It sounds like perfect deal. But when you are going through the sickness, so someone who didn't have experience of it mm-hmm. and sees it from the distance or from the from his perspective, it sounds like wow. No need to go to work, doesn't need to go to school, you know, can do whatever he wants. You know, it's just like wow, I want I want to also be in such situation. But when actually you are sick and you are experiencing it, you have you experiences that wow, that's not really comfortable situation and you would rather go to work or go to school and mm-hmm. do you know, what's supposed to be done. So in the spiritual world, we have this idea that, mm-hmm. oh, you know, maybe when I will get sick, this will be much better position for me than when I am mm-hmm. ill. But when you get through the sickness in the material world, when you are experiencing material world, you know, well, I don't want to be sick anymore. I want to just be healthy all the time because that's much better deals. And at the time when we come to this realization in the material world, we are going back to spiritual world and we are not getting sick anymore. Yes, this is a very esoteric understanding when we talk about, you know, the jiva soul and his relationship. Know that as a fact. Also know as a fact that uh, if you're in a if you're in a in a blazing fire, the house is on fire. Let's get out of the fire. When we're out of the fire, we'll understand the exact nature of uh, the jiva soul, and and all these things will become clear to us. Well, what you're saying is our it's our free will to come back to experience this. Well, you know, that, yeah, we, we think because we think. because we don't have experience. You know, and originally, we don't have experience of the material world, and we see how Krishna is the enjoyer, and we think. Well, you know, it would be cool to be in his position. Mm-hmm. And bang, we are done here. Mm-hmm. So now we experience that actually that's not our position to be enjoyed. Right. And after getting full realization of it, giving mm-hmm. up the, 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 this idea completely, mm-hmm. you know, we can go back there mm-hmm. and not make the same mistake anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a desire to have this experience in the material world because we think that it is... Yeah, that we can we can be in the same position as Krishna is, mm-hmm. as the enjoyer, as the you mm-hmm. know being in the center, or the controller, and like that. Mm-hmm. And we are coming to the material world. We experience it that mm-hmm. you know we we have the you no. Know, here are all arrangements made for us to experience. Mm-hmm. You know that oh, you can you can try to be controller and control right. you know ourselves, control the, our family, control our, how to say, neighborhood, control our country, control the whole world, you know, but this doesn't give us satisfaction because mm-hmm. that's not our original position. Right. It's a uh, material existence is an illusion. Yeah, but I'm just trying to grasp, you know, I mean, that's, it's a Prabhupada was confronted with this question on numerous occasions, and his response was always the same. First, deal with the present predicament. (coughs) The reality of our situation will become self-manifest once we deal with the... So let's just, you know, our our, our task, the task at hand 
is to understand uh, that we're in, a, we're, we're in a precarious position and we're confronted with the, the unfortunate reality of Krishna's time factor within this material world. Let's deal with that. Let's deal with that and get out of this predicament. As far as these, this very esoteric discussion, it's best that we, we, we hold off. There are perfect explanations, yes. Those, those come. But first, let's get out of the burning building. Okay, we'll stop there. Everyone satisfied? Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.